this series of readings and reflections, highlighting books on yoga and Advaita philosophy, comes from the Self-Revelation Church of Absolute Monism. I am Srimati Karuna, the minister of this church. Today, our reading and reflection is from the book The Mystic Cross, written by Swami Kamalananda. Srimati Kamaladi. The mystic cross sets forth on a path of the inner cross as a symbol of unfoldment and illumination. This is not the cross of religious sect or creed, but an ascending ladder of consciousness. Here, too, in this book, Kamaladi expands our awareness of the profound symbols of the Chatta Chakra and consciousness of soul revealed at each center and with each page a greater understanding of the practice and ideal of Kriya Yoga. Listen now to a reading from the Introduction to the Mystic Cross offered by Devi Adiya. The mystic cross exists within your own consciousness as a realm undiscovered, untouched, a realm not yet revealed to science or psychology, not yet fully revealed to you. I know it exists in my consciousness for it continually makes itself known to me, silently dawning, gradually reaching into my own awareness. This realm is the spiritual kingdom of life, the inner kingdom of consciousness. The outer world that we see, hear, taste, touch, or smell is only an approximation of existence. What we become aware of through the senses eventually changes and disappears. Awareness of the inner kingdom is more real. We can trust its revelation and knowledge. It endures. Its glories never fade nor disappear. Discovery of this kingdom of the inner life is discovery of the real and the essence of mysticism. It is mystical in that its existence is not perceptible by the senses, yet it is certainly not known to us in the negation or abstraction of any part or aspect of life. It is not an emptiness or void, but a realm fully inhabited by life and consciousness, by the soul of ideas and the spirit of all things. It is not the limited world we live in, but it is the limitless and whole universe that lives within us formed of pure, illumined, or enlightened consciousness. To speak of it as if it had its own existence apart from us or distant from us is misleading and false. As the mystic Kabir described it, if I say it is outside me, my inner world is ashamed. If I say it is only within, that is falsehood. What does it matter to us to have greater awareness of this kingdom? Will it take us away from concerns for others and for the betterment of our world? Will we become aloof or reclusive? No, a living awareness of this spiritual kingdom will leave us in this world, but not of it. It will help us with our life in the world, enabling us to enjoy all the things that contribute to a full, rich, and rewarding life. By it, we will not become ascetics, but we will no longer desire mere things so that our longings rule us. We will learn to renounce that which burdens life with sorrow, disappointment, and darkness. We will inwardly become so free that nothing of the changing world of experience can diminish, betray, threaten, or rule us. 
As the mystical kingdom enlarges in us, gradually the room for vain attachments and sense-identified self-consciousness, ego, diminishes. Our subject of reflection today is the light of self-subjectivity. Certainly a subject of the entire book, but one chapter in particular is devoted entirely to this topic. It is introduced by a prayer from Swami Premananda. Guide me on the path of subjective illumination that I may realize the divinity of my soul. In the perfection of thy transcendental self, let me discard all worldly thoughts from my mind and remove all personal desires from my heart, that I may come to thee in the purity of love. In our desire to live in the light of self-subjectivity, we come to know the mind, its habits, and potential. We discover that the mind can go in two directions, into the world of form and to that of formlessness. Meditation begins with the soul, not with the senses. After all, the goal is realization of power of being, of love, and of will that is beyond the senses and beyond the mind. Our mind is a channel for self-discovery, for self-enlightenment. It is a divine instrument for self-revelation. It can lift us to sublime heights of glory and truth. But when confined or selfishly attached, it can drag us down, veiling the self in clouds of false knowledge. But merely distancing the body from worldly responsibilities is not going to calm or illumine the mind. For the old thoughts and habits we create in the mind follow us even to the most gloriously serene environments. When we examine our mental life, we see how well established in the peace of our own subjectivity we are or are not. For many, the day is so crowded with one activity after another that there is little time given to realize pure self-reflection. To habitually establish oneself solely in objective life, the mind becomes dominated by the sense world, refusing the mind its own freedom or repose each day. So much of life is destroyed, lost, missed in the endless habit of sense-bound self-consciousness. Are we afraid to be silent, to be calm? Everyone desires peace of mind. Everyone craves self-composure and strength of calmness. But few are willing to devote even a few minutes a day to find themselves in silence and solitude. Yet we can free ourselves from the habits of worldliness 
and get into the peace of self-subjectivity in many beautiful and meditative ways. Walking in the company of God in nature, spending time surrounded by beauty, listening to that still small voice of calm. The habits of quietness, reverie, and reverence for nature are of themselves important components of meditation. Unless we truly understand subjective life, we will encounter difficulty attempting meditation. We are prone to boredom or restlessness because our consciousness has been dominated by and engrossed in the outer sensory world. The uncultivated inner realm is too cluttered and in disarray. The power of introspection as yet unexplored is weak. It is too burdened by worldliness and too weak to withstand the demands of the world. The restless, distracted, sense-bound mind is lonely, seemingly busy, occupied all the time, but actually quite lonely. This is understandable. For without a subjective life, the true self remains hidden, unknown. Loneliness, after all, is separation from self. In her writing, Swami Kamlananda draws our attention to an illustration from the life of Henry David Thoreau, the American transcendentalist author. Sitting alone in his cottage, he watched a man walk back and forth to the local post office each day, carrying his correspondence to and from the outside world. Each day, the man would go with a bundle of letters, and each day he would return home with a bundle of letters. Eventually, this thought struck Thoreau. He thought, this man was inordinately preoccupied with other people's news and views. And Thoreau said, I'll bet he hasn't heard from himself in a long, long time. To experience inner life, we need to hear from ourselves, to know the self, to realize ourselves as a reflection of the self of all. Pure self-reflection. Reflection of the light of the self, the soul. Just as the moon reflects the light of the sun, the individual self is luminous by the light of the soul. The moon is a symbol of subjective self-reflection. And silence of the senses is not enough to achieve such subjectivity and calm. One can sit quietly, but the act of vacating one's mind will not achieve silence. Unchanneled thoughts continue to roam. Philosophically, we identify five types of mind influenced by the processes of nature, characterized by the ascending and progressive enlightenment of the soul. The sensory mind relates to the world of creation, all of creation manifests the attributes, 
the nature and the substance of the self, of reality. And these influence the tendencies of the mind. These various tendencies we know as the gunas. There is the tendency towards density, darkness, and passivity. We call it tamas. There is the tendency towards creativity, force, action. We know this as rajas. And there is the tendency towards equilibrium and illumination. We know this as sattva. And the mind partakes of these three gunas in various combinations and intensities at all times. Whether the mind is restless, serene, dull, or luminous depends on varying degrees of the domination of one tendency over the others. Yet, in the state of self-subjectivity, the serene mind is fully absorbed and identified with the cosmic self. It is purely sattvic. This illumined mind is characterized by sublimity, universality, and love. It is free from selfishness. This mind may be likened unto a beautiful lake with both a tranquil surface and calm, serene depths. It is purely reflective. By self-subjectivity, the mind may establish a vibration of thought, a current of energy and light. By it, thought draws from the cosmic mind. It is necessary for progress in meditation. By self-subjectivity, the mind draws revelations of light and truth from the universal current. In order to meditate, the mind must have knowledge and love of its subject. It must have the ability to focus and the strength of self-subjectivity. It must have sincere dedication and serenity. To become subjective and learn to meditate, the mind requires guidance. It requires something to focus on that is at first so interesting and so absorbing, so drawing to the mind that all lesser, weaker, self-limiting and selfish thoughts drop away. It requires an illuminating thought. With self-subjectivity, we can appreciate the power and purpose of the mystic cross. Its universal importance gradually draws within our own consciousness with ascending meaning in illumination of truth. This and all other publications of the Self-Revelation Church of Absolute Monism are available through our website. I encourage your interest and pursuit of study, reading, and reflection. <laughs>